Welcome to day eight of the Australian Open on No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm fine. We bought a lot of postcards today. We did. For those of you who saw us on Periscope. Yep, even if you haven't, it was a fun little 30-minute shopping trip as we attempted to buy as many postcards as we could while maintaining the high standards that we feel our listeners deserve. So it wasn't easy because there were some shitty postcards out there. There were. There were. And we found some good ones and we negotiated some better prices. Only at one store. We should have done it at the second store, which is actually Probably should have. Yeah, they were more expensive. Although they did build in a uh, a discount because they were 70 cents and then it right. was like six for, 60, you know, there was yeah. a 10%. But whatever. Postcard, the postcard market is not meant for mid-level triple digits, which is what we were buying. So if you're a Kickstarter backer, we'll be getting those to you shortly. But in the meantime, things keep happening at the tennis, you guys. Uh, Results-wise, on court, obviously there was non-result stories, or I guess a result story in some ways. My story about the mixed doubles fix, but on the singles, which we mostly care about on this show, not that we don't care about the other stuff, it was a good day for Milos Ronic. Let's start with him. Milos Ronic won Brisbane, played very well there, came out, backed it up, beat Stan Wawrinka in five. Let's hear from Milos. You don't show many emotions on the outside. Was it boiling on the inside? You know what? Not not as much as normal because I felt very clear in what I needed to do and I f- believed that I could do it. So I think that gave me some kind of uh, calm and some kind of, uh, some kind of peace inside that there was a very strong belief that, you know, the opportunities I was creating, I would be able to make the most of it. So you said it takes a special person to, to make it to the finals. The, you know, you've got to beat... You know, a couple of the top four. Do you feel you're that special person this year? We'll see how special I am. I, I have a big enough challenge ahead of me uh, in two days' time, um, and nothing else matters outside of that. Milos Ronic, you've been impressed with him this year, and do you think he can go for – I mean, he gets him all feast next, which is a nice draw for a quarterfinal. Uh, and then probably Murray. How do you think you think he can get past Murray if it is if that is who it winds up being? Yeah, I mean he's been close before insofar as he's beaten Murray outside of the slams. I think he's undefeated against Murray outside of the majors. So it's just a matter of going into the majors and getting the three sets as opposed to two. Playing incredible tennis. I mean you can't deny that has beaten Roger, gets this big win over Vavrinka, you know, playing just you know, really uh revelatory tennis for mm-hmm. what at least in terms of what we expect to see from Milos. So, you know, that's really great to see. It's really, it feels like to me, come out of nowhere. I don't know if, you know, I'm going to sit there and, and say it's, it's Carlos Moya's uh, inspiration no, or anything like no. that. I think so much of it, honestly, for Milos, not unlike Avika, is, is, is being healthy. I think last year he really struggled with injury, made it very difficult to kind of, you know, sustain a level. And uh, maybe everything that he kind of worked on with Lubacic over time, maybe it's all coming together now. Or maybe it's just, I mean, in the offseason, Milos made a lot of uh, uh, team changes, basically has a, almost a whole new a team around him, um, everything from coach to PR, everything. So um, maybe it's just, uh, you know, wiping that slate clean, um, you know, kind of changed his mentality or whatever. But, you know, he's definitely kind of a dark horse, you know, with that serve. I mean, he can beat anybody, and we know that. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how after five sets, how he pulls up. That's also an issue. Yeah, very much true. So all of that sets up Joe, uh, Milos. Well, Murray's get, is leading two sets to none against Tomic as we record this. We think he'll get through. And then he would play Debbie Ferrer, and who's played many times before. We all know about that. On the women's side, people that we don't know are doing things, namely Joe Conta, who, Courtney, you were there in Wuhan when she had her first real, I think, breakout. Legit. I mean, she, she had the Eastbourne run. But and that she was, was very good at the U.S. Open. Yeah, she barely right, lost right. to, to Petra Kvitova, right. so she right. was very good at the Open. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I would not have tagged Joe Conta to make this run, not because she doesn't have the quality, but because I thought she started the season kind of subpar, didn't have a win before Melbourne, and opened up against Venus Williams. Rough draw on paper, but as it turned out, uh, just really outclassed Venus on that day, and Venus didn't play her best tennis, and from there just hasn't looked back, knocks out a second seed now with Makarova. Semi-finalist last year. Semi-finalist last year, and, and, and that third set, I mean, that was tense, and uh, it really could have gone either way. Conta uh, served for it initially at 5-4, only to get broken by a great game from Makarova, and from there, it just looked like Conta kept pressing and pressing, and both women, to their credit, you know, I think really kept their composure well in that final set and it was Makarova to blink first played a poor uh, service game to, to give it away um, and then Conta second uh, second time she stepped to the line with the match on a racket took care of business so you know massive first British woman into the, the quarterfinals here since Joe Jurian back in 1983 look at you knowing your Brit stats well here's the funny thing is that I sent a tweet <laughs> and I didn't proofread it and it said first woman into the quarterfinals since Joe Jurian 1983 which is false um, women do it. I think eight women make it a year. You know, I fact-checked it. I went back and, and double-checked, and, and that does appear to be the yeah. case. Yeah, it does so, appear to be the case. There you go. Simple math. Uh, yeah, so let's hear briefly from Joe. Um, to be honest, I didn't put that much on it. I, I really enjoyed the match for what it was. It was a, it was a very high-level match against a very, very good player, um, and I, I took it as such. I didn't, um, I didn't put any more on it. Um, it was definitely... One of the uh, more spectacular matches I've played. Um, there have been a few. I mean, I still remember a junior match that I played, and I lost twelve ten in the third, and that 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 still is in my mind. But definitely in my adult career, it's uh, yeah, no, it's it was one of a yeah, one of the memorable ones. It's a remarkable run that you're on. We in the British press tend to think of it as having started in Eastbourne. When did you feel that this real surge of form started for you? Um, well, this journey started when I was about eight years old, so we're coming up to 18 years now. Um, I, I've always said I, I do not believe in a uh, kind of a light switch moment. Um, I, I, it's everything happens for a reason. My my journey has been the way it has been for a reason, and, and that's to accumulate the experiences that I've had. So it, there hasn't been a... I cannot give you a moment where I said, oh, yeah, that's where it started because it's just been ongoing ever since I started playing. So that pretty much wraps up the main matches today. Azarenka had a nice 2-4 uh, and four win over Barbara Shritseva. Fun match. Fun, Barbara fun match. Barbara I mean, please hold this level, um, you know, through the rest of the season or at least for a few months because it was fun watching her try to figure out Vika. And such a bad matchup for her, too. Yeah, but she did the variety and just what she was trying to do, the drop shot. I mean... It goes. It, it's you, it's how you see it from either side. From Streets of it played a fantastic match. I mean, couldn't have played better against Vika, and she got six games. She's the only player this year to get four games in a set off Vika. Vika yet to drop a set um, in 2016, streaking towards that what we expect to be probably the final against Serena, and that could be 
quite the clash. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of excited about that. Before we get to the final between Serena and Vika, Serena has to deal with Maria Sharapova, who she has beaten 17 times in a row. So you wouldn't think it'd be that hard. But still, this rivalry remains... Is it a rivalry? I call it a rivalry. I'm not someone to back away from that word. It's a rivalry because it's the matchup that means the most to both of them. And they don't like each other. And when they play, you watch. And it matters. Yes. It matters. It matters much. Matters much. So we're going to take a look back. Uh, a, a, a visual... No, not visual. We're going to take, uh, take your ears on a road trip with us, won't you? Through the past of Serena and Maria, with an emphasis on their time here at the Australian Open, like in 2005, when they played in the semifinals. (laughs) High decibel. It's back. (laughs) Slices that serve wide. Match point number two. That's a great serve from right back into that off corner. From three match points down to advance to the finals, eight six in the third. Um, no, I gave it all I had. Um, you know, I played from my heart. I, you know, I didn't take my chances when I could, and um, and that's what this game is about. If you don't take your chances, you lose. What would Serena show you today out there? What did she show me? Nothing. What do you think about when you think of the three match points you had each one of them, one by one? Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon, so I'm just riding along. <laughs> I mean, of course I'm sad and obviously it's, it's a tough one to lose, but um, I've got a, a long way ahead of me. Is there anything positive that you take out of uh, your uh, appearance here? Of course. I'm 17 years old and I got to the semifinals of the Australian Open. Nothing's negative. They also played in 2007, two years later, in the final, and it was not close. And Maria, at love five in the first set, managed to peg Serena with a ball. Serena mouthed the word, maybe not mouth, maybe it was just said out loud. The cameras caught it. 
It's tremendous. <laughs> And you've come in a little shell-shocked. Oh, this is a battle. Well, I don't think anyone is as shell-shocked as Maria Sharapova is out there. It's been quite eerie listening from the start. Oh, so is. silent out there without <laughs> the Sharapova grunt at first. But she's warming up a little with and the shriek this. and the play. Yeah. Straight at the body. <laughs> That's one way to stop Serena. Ooh, the crowd seeing that on the big screens. and They know it's... Far from over. Those are barbs. Those are that, those are barbs being traded. Yeah. Um, and these two have traded barbs many, many times through the years, whether here at Melbourne Park or elsewhere. It is, you know, uh, not a rivalry on paper. Uh, well, it depends on what paper we're, we're looking at, but uh, it is In a rivalry. My paper is the rivalry. Yeah. I mean, you know, on court, off court, all of it. It's yeah. it's it's the it's the match that. Yeah, brings the most spice to the yard, even if it's a it's eleven one at the you know at the at the Olympics. I've never been to a match between any other two players where fans shout at the beginning, "Winner keeps Grigor." <laughs> so <laughs> I think this makes it a rivalry. <laughs> Although, do you think? Oh gosh, that's that opens up a whole a whole thing now. What are your thoughts on the fireplace photo, Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> I have so many thoughts. One, it looked like he had been clunked over the head and had fallen in front of the fireplace. <laughs> Which, in like kind of a caveman-y kind of way, is kind of amusing in its own way. But I just am like, if you're the person taking the like, this was a posed photo. This was not a selfie. And this is the thing that I kind of never understood about Grigor Dimitrov's Instagram. Is like, most of the time, they're not selfies. There is a second person who is taking these photos. And how do you take those photos with him posing or mugging the way that he does for them? And not just think, really? <laughs> I think it's where his, I mean, this is the nicest way possible, I think it's where his Bulgarianness shows. I think that's a certain earnestness that comes with that. I guess so. With, with Easter, he's a very with earnest Eastern dude. Yeah, he he's is. a very earnest dude. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah. So to, to back away from Grigor and go back to players relevant to this tournament, uh, let's hear from Craig O'Shaughnessy, who worked with Maria Sharapova on tactics and preparation through her coach Sven Grunfeld. Uh, for preparation for playing Serena, particularly for the 2013 French Open final, which is one of their closer matches. It was four and four. Serena, uh, Maria got off to a good start in the first set. Uh, a very good match. They've had good matches. That's the thing. People gloss over that. So I, I hope they're high for this quarterfinal. Uh, but we'll hear from a more tactical side than we usually do what that matchup looks like and why it has not worked for Maria. So we're here with Craig O'Shaughnessy. O-apostrophe S-H-A-N-N. E-S-S-Y. As you may know, it's Brain Game Tennis on Twitter. Craig, thanks for being here. I have you here in particular because of the rivalry that has perplexed many. Not perplexed, but uh, let's say many have marveled at the one-sidedness of the Serena Williams versus Maria Sharapova rivalry. Uh, Serena will be going for her 18th straight win against Maria when they meet in the quarterfinals here at the Australian Open. 18 straight. Even look on your face. You, you seem... You seem uh, How is that people? possible? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a bizarre stat right there. Maria is an amazing player, has had a ridiculous career, one of the best women's players of all time. And, um, you know, you've got to go back to the Wimbledon final when Maria was 17. I was at that final, and it was, it was one of those years that I was at Wimbledon wandering around the backcourts, and I just kind of found Sharapova. And I followed her from the early rounds, and I'm like, 
I think this girl can do well. And I kept watching her matches and watching her play well. And, um, you know, probably just more luck than anything else, but really picked her to win that that uh, tournament at 17. And she did. And um, ever since then, Serena has basically said, I'm going to take it to you and you are not ever going to win against me again. And it's it's, it's a very personal rivalry the two is it just about it being personal and all the history about them we know or is it you're sir as you're a you're a tactics on court guy that's your thing Mm -hmm. what do you see in actually how these two players their styles match up that this coin flip keeps landing on heads for serena every single time i would say there's a very personal edge to this okay uh maria is a wonderful player serena's an amazing player there's no way that you know, one versus two in the world, which it has been for a lot of this rivalry. Or close to it, at least. Yeah, yeah, very close, very close. If it's not one versus two, it's, you know, it's it's very close. But there's no reason that it should be this significant to one player. So I would say there is a certain edge to this rivalry that Serena has created that, uh, that she really likes to win against Maria. And... Um, you know, good luck to her. That's that's uh, you know that that's what you should do against close rivals. And and Serena has has definitely stepped up and said, you know what, you're not going to win against me. So you worked with Maria before one of their closer matches, which was the 2013 French Open final. Maria was defending champ there. Serena hadn't won that tournament in about 10 years going into that final, but she was obviously playing well. Had played really well. 2013 was one of her best years ever for Serena. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did, what did you work on with Maria? I, I don't know exactly what the losing streak was at that point, but it was over ten for sure. Yeah. Uh, what what did you work with with Maria to try to see what you could turn, how you could turn the tables uh, on Serena? Well, at that period of time, it was about looking back at the recent matches. Uh, Madrid was certainly one of those where. Serena won convincingly and it was about looking at what Maria didn't do well that was where it all started and the thing that stood out to me the most was Maria was changing directions when she was on defense almost every single point so when you get on defense in tennis you must go cross court that's the only way to go uh it you you're not opening up angles you're not chasing a small part of the court um, you're not giving the opponent an opportunity to continually dictate. And she was doing that a lot, and she just didn't realize it. So um, whenever Maria did get on defense, go cross-court, not go so much backhand to backhand. You know, Maria's got an exceptional backhand in the history of women's tennis. Serena, at that period of time, was doing better. So uh, why to Serena's forehand at that moment... In, in their careers was a weakness. Um, if, if Serena does have a weakness, that yeah. was certainly one of them. So it was a little bit playing wider to Serena's forehand. It was a little bit playing um, uh, more through the middle at the start of the point. You know, Maria was pressing too much. She was, she was believing in the hype of Serena's ranking and, uh, and, and the dominance. And, um, you know, Maria wasn't just going out there and saying, you've got to come and beat me. She was basically going out there saying, I've got to go and beat you. And that makes for uh, a very tough day at the office. So you think 
that even with all how great she is, Serena remains in her head and she's just not able to execute like she would against some other player. 100%. Yeah. 100%. You know, Maria is a fantastic player. Uh, her, her record dictates that. Um, her Grand Slam wins dictate that. But there is definitely something in the head that uh, Serena dictates over Maria. And, you know, it, you watch them play against each other and Serena literally wants to, to end the point as early and as often as possible. So it's either going to be an ace, it's going to be a return winner. If it lasts four shots, you know, that, that's Maria extending the rally. Uh, the average rally length for the ladies round of 16 of the final last year here at the Australian Open was only 3.7 shots. Wow. The men were 4.2. And Serena had a lot to do with that. Madison Keys had a lot to do with that. Um, Maria had a lot to do with that. But when Serena plays Maria, she doesn't want a rally at all. Uh, in the final last year, Serena hit 18 aces. Just... You know, I mean, who hits 18 aces in a yeah. final in two sets? It's it's unheard of. So Serena, you know, Maria stepped up. Maria in, in last year's Australian Open final played excellent tennis. Good enough tennis to probably win nine times out of ten. But who faces 18 aces? I mean, it's uh, it's it's Im- impossible to in, play against. In working with Maria about Serena, how much do you sense that this is something she's, I don't want to say desperate, but extremely eager to reverse because because like you said she's already an all-time great she's won seven grand slams mm-hmm. but if you flip if she was let's say even just 70 30 against serena instead of being you know right now it's 90 10 in terms of the win loss mm-hmm. she might have had a couple more slams to her name um i think earlier on that was certainly something that played out between these two there was certainly an eagerness to uh get back to level or, or to do well I think lately, I think Maria's over that. Um, I don't. I don't sense the uh, that that she has to beat Serena to validate herself. Okay. I think Serena's just basically been playing too good, and I think Marina Maria's accepted that and said, "I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do the best I can against you, and if it's not good enough today, I can live with that. I can go to bed at night, put my head on the pillow, and be okay with that." So. Um, I, I think the last couple of years, Maria's probably done better, even though she hasn't won. But but at the end of the day, probably feels better about the result. You think she'll ever win against Serena? I will be absolutely shocked if she doesn't. There's mm. got to be down times for everyone. I've seen Serena play awful matches the last couple of years where the energy is down. Never against Maria, though. Yeah, never. Yeah, I don't exa- think she's going to let that happen against Maria. <laughs> because I, 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 every time like Serena plays like she did against Vinci or mm. like she did, uh, I, I don't know what a recent you know, rough match for her yeah. was. I mean, you've seen them, I mean, like against Benchich, let's say in Canada last year when mm-hmm. she lost to Benchich. She's not going to let that happen against Maria. I think, I think that's where Maria is at a bigger disadvantage than everybody else is because Maria only sees peak Serena. I agree with that. That that's a very good point. Um, I just think in the next couple of years, Maria will get her. Maria will find a place and find a time and find a tournament and find the conditions where she gets her. I I cannot believe that for the rest of their careers, 
Serena just keeps on winning. Do you think? I don't know how. How when you worked with last thing when you worked with Maria, how open was she to listening to new things? And I guess on that front, should she ever be willing to try something completely different, relatively out of her comfort zone for this one player, this one horrible matchup? Yeah, her? good question. My involvement was not directly with Maria. Okay. It was directly with her coach. Yeah. Who was at that point? It was. Uh, Sven? It was Sven. Yeah, yeah. Sven Gronefeld. Great coach, great guy, extremely knowledgeable. I would say, I would put Sven Gronefeld in the top five coaches in the world. Very, very good. So my involvement, as it absolutely should have been, was directly with Sven. And then Sven takes that information and passes it on to Maria and drips feeds, drip feeds what, um, what areas, you know, in the game plan... He, he, may, he may give more in one area and give less in another area. You know, I'm not privy to what they do on a day-to-day basis. But I am analysing the matchup that, that happened between those two, you know, several years ago. So, um, you know, it, it's up to the coach. It's up to Sven. It's up to what Maria wants to hear. It's up to what Maria wants to put into place and what Sven wants to, you know, really put priority on. But... Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about specific moments in time. There's breakpoints that happen. Mar- uh, Maria's got places that she needs to defend first and foremost. Serena's got favourite patterns of play. And between the two players, there's going to be one or two points in almost every match that matters the most. And I think ultimately, whether it's Maria or anyone else against Serena... You've got to give up half of the service box. You've got to completely be all over the other half and hope hope the serve goes there. Thank you very much, Craig. Ben, always a pleasure. Thank you, Craig. And thank you guys all for listening to this episode of No Challenge Remaining on day eight of the Aussie Open. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. We're getting close to like a thousand likes on Facebook. That'd be cool. We can give some sort of like... Virtual hug to our thousandth person. Virtual hugs are always nice. That seems nice. And we are collecting little, like, knickknacks and, uh, I don't know, uh, things to give away to specifically our NCR backers because that's kind of our uh, continuing reward to them. So uh, so hopefully um, we'll start opening all that up as soon as we get home and things get a little bit settled. But we have been receiving a bunch of emails from you guys. Um, thank you so much for them. Uh, we will get back to you, uh, mm-hmm. once the slam is just over. Not yeah, just not, just not Which right I hope, now. I think most of you probably already know. Yeah, yeah. So once we get, once we get back stateside, we'll kind of sort everything out. So. Yeah. And if you have questions for an upcoming show or anything else, email us, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app and get the new episodes delivered automatically, which is so cool because they're like right there on your phone and it's great. I never really plugged that part of it before, but I feel like people who just click so on true. the link or just like wait for us to tweet, they're missing out. Yeah, no, like, it's just it's us, much easier to subscribe. Yeah, so much easier. That's there, and if you want to subscribe on iTunes, you can leave reviews there. We like that as well. Ben, you use the iTunes app, right, for your podcasts? I use the, podcast, the podcast app, app on, on your phone. phone. Yeah, I use Overcast. So there are many different pod court, podcast platforms that you can all use, but uh, they're all they're all pretty great. All pretty great. All the same NCR channel. In the end, and with that, we will see you guys later. See you for Serena and Maria. Enjoy, guys. Bye. Bye. It was in unison. That was like harmonizing. It was weird. Mm-hmm.